Hi, I'm Kim Rickards, professional superglue and co-creator of Manifest. Manifest is a global platform with a vision to empower professionals of color to make connections and build intentional community to manifest careers, dreams, and goals. In this podcast, we will nurture, inspire, connect, and elevate our listeners through relevant stories and conversations. Now let's Manifest. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Less Man a Feast. Today, I'm really excited to have a conversation with one of my favorite Black romance novelists. But before I go into that, I just wanted to give you some background on how this episode came to be. So over the summer, I spent a lot of time catching up, reading, and listening to audiobooks by Black authors, mainly romance authors, trying to manifest a little love in my life. And while reading one day, an idea to record a three-part interview series with my favorites came to be. So today you are manifest, well, I'm manifesting, I would say part one of three, and I have the pleasure of speaking with none other than Christina C. Jones. Christina is a phenomenal storyteller. She's penned almost 30 books, probably more by the time you hear this. She can seamlessly weave the complexities of modern life into captivating tales of Black romance. And one thing I really admire about her is her entrepreneurial spirit. So prior to her work as a full-time writer, Christina successfully ran a digital creative design studio, and she's recently leveraged those skills to create awesome merch for her book series. I'm sure Christina has a lot more in store. Christina, (laughs) welcome to Let's Manifest. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you agreed to do this because, you know, one thing that many people probably, especially during, you know, current times can agree with me on is that we sort of build these virtual friends in our heads, right? Like you connect with someone that something that someone is doing. And before you know it, you're like, yep, that's my girl. And then all of a sudden you're like all the way dialed into everything they're doing. And I felt like that's what happened with you. So although I'd have been reading your books for years during this time on Twitter, I was like, oh, I'm down with everything she's doing. Like, come through <laughs> merch, you know, like, you know, and, and I think like that's part of why everything that has been happening, although there have been bad moments, right? There's been good that came out of it. For me, mm-hmm. especially one of the good things has been slowing down. So I was able to slow down. I was able to read more. And now I'm able to, you know, virtually meet you. So those are the pluses. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, It has been, it's it's been some growing pains, I would say, Mm -hmm. in terms of figuring out how to slow down and how to just kind of cope and Mm -hmm. settle into what is a new normal and still figuring out how to create. But Again, like you said, you know, it's a thing of slowing down and things are a little quieter. There's fewer distractions, um, less to do, <laughs> less right. to get up and go. Um, and it really has it really has made a, a difference. I'm I'm not completely sold yet on for good or bad, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm. I'm trying to make the best of it. (laughs) It's a one day at a time kind of situation, right? So I don't think anyone has the right or wrong answer. Like, it's just one of those things that every day something new has happened or is going to happen. And we just have to be fluid, I would think, to just go through all of it, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and not take, I'm learning not to take anything 
too seriously anymore either because I prided myself on being very serious. Like I was, I'm a planner by nature, like everything was planned and then life happened Mm -hmm. and I had to sit down and sitting down for me was hard. So, So it was like, wait, what? But then I learned in sitting to be fluid. So now it's like, you know what? You just have to take the good with the bad and you have to know that with everything that happens, some sort of blessing is going to come out of it, right? And that that's Absolutely. kind of what's been keeping me going. Mm-hmm. So, ma'am, we are going to get started. But before we get into more conversations, I would say let's have some fun playing a game of this or that. Are okay. you down for this game? I'm ready. <laughs> you ready? All right. Well, let me give you the rules because they're fairly simple. The first rule is don't overthink. The second rule is say what comes to mind you know, keeping it G, of course. And <laughs> the last rule is to have fun. Absolutely. Sounds like you're ready for I'm that. ready. All right. <laughs> the first one, sweet or sour? Sweet. Christmas or Easter? Christmas. Summer or fall? Fall. 80s R&B or 90s R&B? 90s. History or English? English. Books or puzzles? Books. A fair or a theme park? Theme park. And the last one, romance or suspense novels? Romance. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, of course. Surprises exactly no one. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like, of course I'm going to choose that. Well, let's see. Talk about surprising absolutely no one. What is some advice you would give to your 16-year-old self? Surprise us today. Um, The advice that I would give to my 16-year-old self is to uh, 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 kind of ties a little bit into what you, into something that you mentioned earlier. None of this is as serious as it feels right now. I know that every everything on your body feels wrong and everything on your face feels wrong and everything that you say feels wrong and all of that. But 16 is such a small part of the life that you're going to live. You have no idea the things that you're going to see and experience and the wonderful things that are coming your way. Just, just, just stick it out. Just stick it, just, just hang in there don't I I would never this might be crazy but I would never tell like my 16 year old self like I don't know that I would give her any like tips or any real hints as to what was coming because I feel like I'd be I feel like I'd be afraid that I was going to mess something up like a butterfly Mm -hmm. effect kind of thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I think my thing would be just more encouraging words more than any type of warning it would be more encouraging words like you can do this like you can survive this I know it doesn't feel like it but you can survive this and you're gonna be you're gonna be just fine right which is true which is true I'm thinking back to 16 and I'm like oof girl I think I definitely needed some encouraging words not that I was a bad kid or anything like that but it was more so just like my mom is a huge person that believes in figure it out. And that was something that frustrated me. Mm -hmm. Like growing up, I'd be like, mommy, just tell me what it is. And she would always be like, no, I'm not going to tell you so you could blame me. And and now I understand (laughs) that because when I think back to 16 and, you know, you're in a very interesting place at 16. You're still trying to figure out like 
your, yourself, what you like, what you don't like, you know, some response mm-hmm. may have some responsibilities put on you in terms of possibly now you want to get a job or something after school. But during that time, I think for me, I was more so trying to to do more of the the dreaming, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why I was trying to do that is because my mom was not a dreamer. Like she <laughs> she was not a person yeah. that was like yeah. exploring a lot of things. And I was trying to figure things out from from that aspect. Like, do I like this? Let me let me try to dream about it and see what happens and go completely left sometimes. But because of her parenting, she was very much like this is the way my parents did it. And, you know, this is the way I'm doing it with you all. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, I don't know if that was something I wanted. You know, I probably wanted her to give a little bit more and she didn't. But now I can appreciate that because she was actually pushing me in the same manner that I was going in for, in terms of dreaming. But now I had to dream bigger is what she was tr- really trying to say, I think, by not putting any limit on what I was presenting to her in terms of what I wanted to do. So whereas I thought I wanted her to be more of the parent to say, like, with firmness, like, this is what it has to be. She was more so mm-hmm. like, you're going to figure it out. And I think that that's exactly what you're saying to your 16-year-old self. Like, you would figure it out. You're going to figure it out. Um, yeah. But I can encourage you with these kind of words to let you know how to do that. Yeah. And just something to kind of make the days seem a little less, <laughs> a little <laughs> less metaphorically cloudy, I guess. Just something mm-hmm. to kind of some some words to hang on to, because when I think about what I thought I would be doing at 16, I <laughs> I never I never thought that it would be here. You know, the life that I have now is wouldn't I probably <laughs> would. I probably would think I was dreaming some type of crazy or like, okay, this is a hallucination. Do I need to go? Do I need to tell somebody that I'm losing my mind? Because (laughs) when I was 16, you know, things were very, um, there wasn't a lot of, I guess, dreaming, you know, in my household either. It was very, let's be very realistic. Let's do the best that we can. Um, And, to, to just get a better life. And it was all very, I don't want to say small because I feel like that's kind of, I I can't, I can't think of the word that I want to use for it, but it's not that it was necessarily small, but it was just very focused on reality and very focused on getting by. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. very, you're going to, you're going to graduate and you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a quote unquote good job and you're going to be able to pay your bills. And there was never anything much beyond that. It was very, it was kind of about that survival type of mentality. Um, And not even necessarily saying that anything is wrong with that. It's just that Mm -hmm. for me, even though I was a kid who did a lot of reading and I had a very big imagination, that stuff was always just imaginary to me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like it was never, it was never that I felt like any of that was necessarily attainable. And so the fact that I'm, I'm in a completely different life than what I would have thought for myself, just, again, I think I would have blown my own mind. I don't know that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that 16 year old me would have been trying to hear it. So it's like, okay, girl, let's just get you some encouragement and you're, you're, you're going to come around to it one way or another. It's going to get figured out. 
It definitely did. And it did get figured out. So that's the beautiful part of that. And as we start to really get into conversation, you just mentioned that your 60-year-old self probably would have been like, what if if she were to see you now? So what are three things people may not know about you? Um, I will start with what, what I thought I was going to do at 16. When I was 16 years old, I had in mind that I was going to be a teacher um, because that was what like the, 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 the intelligent, successful black women that I saw, they were teachers, you know, that, that's what mm-hmm. I was exposed to when I was a little girl. Um, that's what I saw. And they just seemed so glamorous to me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with their, with their, um, with their work clothes and all of that, it just seemed so glamorous to me. And it seemed, um, like that's because I was a smart kid. That was, almost what was expected. Like, okay, this is something that you can do. This is something that's attainable. Um, but I actually hate teaching. <laughs> wow. I, I, I'm not a good teacher. Like I can, I feel like I can show people how to do something, but I don't know that I have the patience necessarily to be a teacher. Like I was just telling my husband just the other day that I have trouble helping my kids like with, like with math, for example. And it's not even necessarily that I don't know how to do it. I just, I don't know how to explain it. I just, I know how to do it (laughs) because someone taught me how to do it, but I don't know how to explain it. And I certainly don't know how to explain it, you know, on a child's level. I'm like our parents just repeating the problem back to you. Like what's two plus two? (laughs) Nah, it ain't three. What's two plus two saying it with different inflections like that's gonna make it <laughs> like that's gonna make it understood <laughs> better uh-huh. right like that's just that's just not me um I'm I'm not a, a teaching kind of person um but I am the type of person who gets very um when it comes to things that I cannot do or things that I'm not necessarily good at um I don't like not being good at things and so mm. I tend to, if, if there's something that I want to do and I'm not necessarily good at it, I'm going to keep at it. And I'm going to watch all the YouTube videos and I'm going to read all the articles and I'm going to try it. Like it takes me a bit to give up on something. And I believe that was very key for me when it comes to my writing career. Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that I wasn't very good at it when I started, <laughs> but I kind of mm. am saying that, but the way that I feel like I was able to really tap in and really improve my skill at my skill at writing is because I was very obsessed with it. Like in my early reviews, if people would complain about something in the reviews, it'd be like, all right you'll never be able to complain about that again. Like you said, you mm-hmm. you had that one time to say it, you'll never mm-hmm. be able to say it again, um, right. which is not healthy. <laughs> I don't well, know. I, I, I don't guess know. it, it yeah. kind of depends. Yeah, it, it, depends. It, it depends. You know, in, in a way, like in the very beginning, um, I do think that it was valuable for me in terms of, not making those same mistakes when it comes to, when it came to like grammatical stuff and, you know, story structure type stuff, not necessarily the content or the plot, but just mm-hmm. like the, the actual mechanics and all of that. Um, I, I just, I get very, um, very obsessed with it, very obsessed with not being able to get or not wanting to get those same complaints again. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess the third thing 
I'm going to say something, but I don't know how necessarily true it is. So I'm going to, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of explaining I'm going to do behind it. Um, I don't believe that I am like, things don't really mean a lot to me. Like I'm not a very sentimental person. Like I'm not the person who is going to have like a box of like my kids cards and stuff that they made me when they were three years old and things like that. <laughs> like that's just not me. Like I don't like clutter. Like I'm always ready to clear things out and not even just that. It's like when I think about like, handbags and shoes and stuff like that and don't please don't get me wrong this is not me knocking anybody who who does love stuff like that because I love Mm -hmm. looking at stuff like that it just doesn't hold any value for me Mm -hmm. in terms of having it but I love experiences like I love traveling and all of that with my family and I'm not sure how much this is something that people may not know about me because anybody that follows me on social media (laughs) has probably seen like we love to travel and eat and you know all these different things but I, I memories and pictures I cherish very deeply more than I cherish you know having like a collection of designer bags, but it's almost like I I would, I would like to be that person because I like looking at those things. And I, you know, mm-hmm. when I see those things, I find myself wanting those things, but not necessarily enough to say, okay, I'm going to get this instead of the family vacation over here with, for, for the same value or However, however, the phrasing of that would be, but um, I'm pretty open. And so I, I I know that those things might feel a little weak in terms of (laughs) things people don't know about me, but I talk a lot. And so (laughs) I'm not sure what else I would have. I'm like, well, I mean, you just told some advertisers you are not susceptible to their targeted ads, so they don't need to send none of that stuff your way, you know, like really depends. (laughs) It, it really depends because I am actually very susceptible to targeted ads. If it's some food, I have gone to Target specifically because of some cookies I saw. On an ad. <laughs> so if it's food, you can send it my way, but <laughs> like, the other stuff, maybe else. not as much. <laughs> right, right. It's like, hmm, I have to think about it. But, you know, again, these are the things that. I think as we grow, that that may even change. I don't know mm-hmm. about if anything that you said just now has changed over the years as you have, you know, gone from single them to being a wife to being a mom. But I know for me, one of the things that I have gotten more into in this this time of like being still is cherishing those experiences because I was a person who was always on the go, you know, mm-hmm. and COVID has pretty much told me to talk, take, take a seat, right? Take several seats. And it's really made me rethink what's truly important because I was all about creating, not only creating the experience on like the manifest side for other people to enjoy and find value in, but then myself, I was going out and, you know, taking all these different trips, you know, and meeting people and having really cool memories happen. But then I was missing time with my family, Mm. you know? So it was like, I had to, rethink what's really important because the experiences are totally important, right? But then not at the expense of, say, spending time with like a grandparent or, you know, like my niece and nephew, seeing them grow up. I'm like, oh my goodness, I I remember when you guys were literally born and now they're 
10 and seven and I'm looking at them and their personalities evolve. And I'm like, yeah, who are these you people? Know, <laughs> who are these people? Girl, I ask them all the time. Who are you? You, know, <laughs> where'd you come from? Um, but funny thing is that I remember one of one trip that I took this year prior to the world shutting down, I was going to Trinidad and mm-hmm. my niece was like, why are you going? And it was one of those things that was like, because Titi needs to go. What do you mean? Why am I going? You know, but but it really made me think about that. And she had gotten so used to me being, you know, in and out that mm-hmm. for her, she's like, why are you going on this trip again? Like, what's the importance of this? And it it really, I'm not going to lie, I was in my feelings about it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what does she mean? But as the world slowed down and I slowed down with it, I really started to understand, like, I was missing a lot. Like, of course, texting and videos and all this stuff, they help with making you feel like you're there. But there's nothing like really being there, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not quite the same. It's not quite the same. It's not at all. So again, you know, certain things <laughs> we learn as we as we go. But um, one of the things that I am happy about, even hearing you share what you just shared, is around the fact that you 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 have a little competitive spirit, and I like it because I can <laughs> see I can see the without knowing you like in detail, right? But I can see some of that in your work. Right. And mm-hmm. and this is the other thing that some people may not know that you were looking at it like that's the last time you're going to have that type of review left on my page. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But <laughs> in a in a way, it actually made you I won't I hate to say better, but it just made you take a note to say, you know what, I'm going to do this differently mm-hmm. and then I'll get X, Y and Z feedback from doing it that way. And I think it's been working because how many books later are you and your brand continues to grow? People continue to love your books, you know, so everything kind of works hand in hand to bring you to where you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And OK, so now we're, we're talking, we're talking about your books and we start, we're starting to talk about your books. So we get into the, the fun part. But one thing that I want to ask you is. One, how did you even get into (laughs) writing? Because this was not something that you originally wanted to do. So how did you get here? Well, like I said, I've always had a big imagination and I was always reading something, like Mm -hmm. always. And I exhausted my library at school. Um, I was in there (laughs) as often as I could be. And then from there, kind of graduated to the public library. I still very vividly remember me getting in huge, huge trouble because I convinced my bus driver, like we, there was the city and then where I actually live was like all the way out in the country. And Mm -hmm. I convinced my bus driver, my school bus driver to drop me off Um, at a side street where I knew I could walk to the library from there. And he did it. And (laughs) to this day, like as an adult, I'm like, why, why (laughs) on earth would you say yes to that? Like, why did that happen, sir? But I mean, but I got there and I was, and I was good. I I went straight to the library. I went where I said I was going to go. I went straight to the library, but, um, Anyway, I just was always reading. I was always reading, always doing something to feed my imagination. And I started writing stories down and I would write them down in different notebooks. And once I was like, this is like high school, um, I wrote down a story in a green 
like a, gr- a normal green spiral notebook, the little 25 cent notebooks. <laughs> and I was passing it around to everybody to the point that the spirals, like it got all torn up. And so I had to switch the pages. I had to rewrite it down and put it in a folder um, in a three ring, <laughs> in a three ring prong <laughs> folder. I don't know why that is so vivid to me, <laughs> but I remember passing it, passing it around in a folder and people asking me, where's the story? You know, and I, I, well, I'm not sure who has it right now. Um, but it was getting passed around like among my among my classmates and different things like that. And then from there, um, I never really took it too seriously, though. Like it was never something that I necessarily thought like, OK, this is this is real. This is going to be a career or something like that. I was just good at it um, or I mm-hmm. thought I was good at it. And pe- other people thought I was good at it. I didn't. Again, I wasn't taking it any type of seriously at all. But then much much later, um, once I had already realized that teaching was not was not going to work, I had done some part time work at a daycare, and I was like nineteen years old or something like that. And I worked at a daycare, and that's when I realized I don't really like kids like that. Like, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me rephrase that. I like kids fine. Um, I don't enjoy being responsible for children that are not mine. I should say okay. <laughs> is a more accurate way to portray that because I, I, I actually I actually love kids, but um. Just not in that context, <laughs> but right. um, so I things had moved on, um, and I was back kind of in that mode of just kind of getting by, and I had gotten married, and I was getting ready to go back to school because I had I had gone to college, and then the college asked me not to come back because I was playing and my grades were not <laughs> what they should Wait, was be. This- was the academic probation plan? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, they wait. They gave me the academic probation plan, and then I did not do enough to come off of academic probation, and so they were you like, "You what? can't come back." So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, things moved on from there. It was like, okay, cool. You know, just get a job. You know, maybe go to. Um, I went to hair school. I went to cosmetology school because that was something else that I had always kind of had a knack for. I went so I went to cosmetology school. Um, and I was getting ready to go back to college, um, when we found out that I was pregnant and I got very, very sick when I was pregnant. Um, like so sick that there was no way that I could have, like, it was, it was good that I did not have a job or anything at that time because there was no way that I would have been able to maintain it. Um, so there was that. And then things kind of moved on and I was good at graphic design and I had been making like Black Planet Black Planet pages and stuff like that. I've done a lot in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I've done a lot. Um, But I was working on graphic design and working on that business and um, then uh, we got pregnant again (laughs) and um, kind of in the midst of being sick from that when I could not I couldn't even keep myself upright to even be at the computer calling myself going to do any graphic design or anything. I was just too sick. Um, I needed something to kind of tether me back to reality. And I know that sounds dramatic, but I was very sick. Like I can't, I can't overstate how sick I was. Like when I would go to my prenatal appointment, like I had, I was in early pregnancy and my doctor wanted to see me every week, like to make sure that the baby still had a heartbeat. And he was like begging me, like, please, 
go after you leave this appointment, go to McDonald's and get a milkshake. Like, please get something on your stomach. I couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't keep any weight. Like I often joke, you know, let me get pregnant real quick. Cause I know that's a quick way for me to lose 30 pounds because I that's can't. like, that's I what happens to me. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I just needed something to tether me back to not even necessarily reality, but I just needed to be tethered to something. And I picked up my laptop and it was like a little mini laptop. We had, And I remember we had bought a set at Best Buy. It had a desktop, a laptop and a miniature laptop <laughs> in this set. And I had that little mini laptop in bed with me and I started, I just started typing. And through the writing out of that story, I had a friend um, who had been a mommy blogger with me because I did that too. Uh, <laughs> and she was like, you know, I like writing too, so I'm going to write too. And so, you know, she and I were writing and it was, I liked having that, I liked having that community, you know, I like being able to go back mm-hmm. and forth. And so then I ended up finding another group of women who were writing as well. And so we were all writing, all trying to finish our projects. And once it came close to time to finish a project, it's like, okay, now what are you going to do with it? And mm-hmm. I had never considered like seeking out a publisher or anything like that. Like that had never even been on my mind. And I don't remember I feel like it was either my mommy blogger friend, Chrissy, or maybe one of the women in the writing group. I don't remember how I came across, you know, the idea of self-publishing, but it was there. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe I'll publish it like just for fun. Like it was never, it was never something that was like this big, serious thing for me. I was just, I was just going to publish. Like it was like this is just something that I'm going to I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to see what happens and this was fun and this was a project this is something that I've seen through to completion because that was another thing for me like with that with all these things that I've done it always felt like I wasn't really connected to anything like I was doing these things mm-hmm. that I enjoyed and I was objectively good at but it always felt like I was starting something and then stopping it, starting something and then stopping it. And with the book, it was like, what's the the ultimate way to have this, you know, this, this feeling of completion, this feeling of I did something is to officially publish it. And so I did. And people actually read it (laughs) and people actually Mm -hmm. liked it. And I joke a lot about how I had to literally give copies away. And I like, I I gave away a lot of copies of that book, (laughs) like a a whole (laughs) lot of copies of that book. But I feel like being willing to do that because I mean, I, it was never a consideration that there was money to be made anyway. So it wasn't a big deal to give it away, but I believe that in giving it away, it, it invited more people into hearing my writing voice and seeing what I was about, seeing if they they liked what I quote unquote had to say and all of that. And I really think that that made a big difference in building my audience because Mm -hmm. um, it took several books to, you know, to actually see any type of quote unquote money. It took a while, but by that second book, I had people who were already fans who already right. liked what I was doing. And then it just kind of grew exponentially from there. Mm-hmm. I bet and you weren't expecting that much of an answer when you had I, I wasn't expecting <laughs> it, but I love it because again, this is why this is why we're talking so that, you know, listeners can learn and they can 
connect with you on a deeper level. So when they are reading, they know a little bit of, you know, who wrote this, you know, as opposed to getting like a blurb of, you know, this is who I am. It's like, oh, this is where all of this passion came from. And I can relate to you on doing things that you're good at, but not really always connecting to it. And it's hard. And I almost wonder if that's because we're creative people and and maybe that's a part of the process. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely something that I had struggle with because for me, I was an executive assistant for over 10 years. And as an executive assistant, most people that have either worked with me or they've seen like my LinkedIn profile or my resume, they're like, you worked at pretty cool companies, Kim. And it's awesome. And I did. And I'm forever grateful. But there were times when I just wasn't connecting with that part Mm -hmm. of who I was. Right. So, you know, I've heard people say that you're not your job. (laughs) Like that's not who you are. But sometimes I struggled with that because I was like, but I am a person that actually likes supporting people. I am a person that likes Mm -hmm. to, you know, um, connect the dots and bring people together. Like that's who I am. That's a part of me. And that's what I did. It was just a matter of, I felt like I needed to be challenged and I needed to grow from that because Mm -hmm. I had been doing it. So although I was, you know, making six figures and and being in what would be considered a very comfortable and cushiony position, I felt like I needed to be challenged. And I was like, I got to leave because I just didn't feel that I was really being my best self. And Mm -hmm. then I left. And, And then life continued to to happen. And as life happened, like the idea that I had for creating a place, a platform, if you will, for people of color to intentionally connect was always there. I just didn't know the name of it. I just didn't know how I would do it. And through frustration, honestly, through frustration (laughs) of being in a job (laughs) where, you know, the company was great, but the person I worked with was not, I was frustrated out of that. And Manifest was born. You know, so it's like, I totally connected with you when you said it, because I'm like, mm-hmm. been there, girl, definitely felt you on that. But, you know, again, everything ties back to, to where we are currently. And it's, I think, made us, again, those better people, those people that are giving value in what we do. And I think that people can connect with it because it's real and it's genuine. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's like fluffy, you know, so I appreciate your answer. I would say one of the questions that came to mind as you were speaking just now is just around the fact that, again, you know, we're we're in a pandemic. We don't know how long this is going to last. And many people are inside and they're reaching for something new to escape their realities. And through your books, you have introduced your readers to magical places. Um, and these places are filled with Black magic and love. And I just want to know what inspired you to create Mahogany Heights, the, a.k.a. The Heights, right? Sugar Valley and Blackwood. Well, more than anything, I just wanted the creative freedom to be able to make these places whatever I wanted them to be. Like if you're writing about a specific place, like sometimes I've written Vegas or if you write about Mm -hmm. Chicago or Dallas or whatever, you kind of have to be true to what those cities are. And there's a lot of when readers pick that up, especially if they're from there, it's like, okay, well, that's not right. You know, that that street isn't beside that street, you know, and I feel like it's kind of a distraction and I feel like it eliminates, it eliminates the distraction and offers more creative freedom to have these different 
places and these different vibes. And the vibe is a big part of why these places are separate. Like you have the Heights that's, you know, that's the neighborhood. It's more, um, it's, it's warm and it's inviting and it's, you know, it's just, if it, 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 it gives that home <laughs> type of feeling. And then you have Sugar Valley that's up in the mountains and that's the place where you go to escape and kind of be reborn and um, revitalize yourself and find yourself again and kind of figure yourself out. And then Blackwood is adjacent to the Heights, but it's a little bit of a different vibe. It's a little more of the grown and sexy type of vibe. It's a little, it's a little like a little darker and not, I wouldn't call it dark, but mm-hmm. it's a little darker in vibe. Um, it's a little sexier in the vibe than the Heights. And that's not to say that the Heights is, you know, is <laughs> is Amish or anything. Right. Not like at all. <laughs> but it's just it's it's just a little different. And these different places, like when I when a story comes to me, when the characters come to me, I already know, okay, this story is for this place. Or if I'm or if the place comes first, if I'm feeling like, man, I, it's time for me to revisit the heights. What do I want to do? The stories that are gonna come to me, that are gonna come to mind, which are honestly probably stories that I've already thought of and then pushed aside like no it's my time for you right now but the stuff that's Mm going to come up for me is going to be like I'm already going to know like okay this is going to happen in the heights or this is going to be over in Vegas or this is going to be in Blackwood like it all kind of they're all kind of real places in my mind (laughs) at this Mm -hmm. point for me to for me to turn back to well they are all real places in my mind I must tell you because (laughs) When I read about the Heights, I'm from Brooklyn and it reminds me of that vibe, you know, like the community, Mm -hmm. especially where the neighborhood I'm from is Bed-Stuy and that's the vibe that I always got growing up. So reading about the Heights for me kind of takes me back there. And then when I'm thinking about like Sugar Valley, I think about upstate New York and like it's a little slower and, you Mm -hmm. know, you still have... You still have your pockets of fun areas and, you know, cool things to do, but it's just a little slower. And then Blackwood for me kind of gave me Manhattan vibes. I felt a little Mm -hmm. Harlem in there, you know, like, and again, because I'm from New York, New York City specifically, I'm able to put my experiences in different things that I've, or places that I've been to and envision it in these settings. So that's Mm -hmm. why my mind goes there when I'm reading and I'm connecting with the characters. And even Vegas, you know, for me, when I traveled a lot for work, I would go to Vegas. So reading stories about Vegas. And of course, I was like, I don't want to stay at the Drake Hotel because clearly this is a hotel (laughs) that I missed, (laughs) right? But in my mind, I'm like, oh, I can envision this to be kind of like the Cosmopolitan or something to that effect. So I like Mm -hmm. that you, you know, you broke it down in the way that you did because if anyone's like me, they probably have done it the same way in their mind, tying it back to either a place that they've been or a place that they've always wanted to go. And like I've said to you on social media, I'm still looking for my townhouse in the Heights <laughs> because I'm over the U.S. <laughs> I'm like, I'm over the, this, the real U.S., so I need to go somewhere else. But, you know, I do like that, that you were able to break it down for listeners that way. And as we talk about the characters, or we didn't talk about the characters yet, but I want you to tell us a little bit about your favorite character to write and what brought about this character and what this character has taught you. So this is actually, um, I, I, I really dread when people ask me this question because it's like it's like choosing a favorite child because there's 
Because first of all, it's it's a lot of books. <laughs> it's it just, it's it a is. lot to think through and a lot to think about. Um, but I will I will say that my favorite my favorite archetype to write, um, if I can cheat a little bit, but mm-hmm. I loved to write the heroine, the female character or the fe- the female main character who is um, kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> or not even necessarily that she's mean. I think that people read her as mean because she doesn't take any nonsense, not from the people mm-hmm. around her, not from the hero. Um, and I think they get read as unlikable because she is not falling at the hero's feet to do, you know, whatever he asks. And when he messes up, she's not falling all over herself to forgive him. She makes him work for it. She makes him work to get it back. And I'm thinking about characters like, um, like Nubia Perry, um, from, um, from getting schooled, uh, Bianca from the trouble with us, these women who are quote unquote difficult, and I really like writing them because I feel like they're not difficult at all. <laughs> I don't think they're difficult at all. I think that they know what they, or not even necessarily that they know what they want, but they know what they will and won't take. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that, and I, I like writing them because I feel like it challenges the reader to, uh, hopefully it challenges the reader <laughs> to examine what what is it about you that what is it about this woman that grates on you? Is it because she's actually unlikable, or is it because she's doing the things that you wish that you could do? But if you did it, you the, the man might leave, or mm. you know people might say this, or people might say that. But she's doing it, and the man ain't leaving. He's not going anywhere because right. I, I because I said he not. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you gonna see right he's, here. He's he's not going anywhere. He's gonna let her be exactly who she is, and he's she she and she's not gonna have to suffer for not falling, you know, for not falling all over herself to be with him. She's not gonna have to suffer for questioning whether or not he's right for her just because he's a quote unquote good man. Like I I, I like that challenge. I like writing heroines who I. <laughs> I like writing heroines who give the hero a hard time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. And I really, and I, and again, it's just because there are, we're taught these things that women are supposed to be and the ways that we're supposed to act and different things like that. And I just really like writing female characters that challenge that. And that's not to say that I enjoy my other characters who maybe are, you know, the quote unquote perfect home girl or whatever. That's not to say that I don't enjoy writing them because I love, I feel like my heroines are pretty diverse in, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of that, but there's just something about them. And it could be also me being protective because I'm, I'll see in the reviews like, Oh, I didn't like her, <laughs> uh-huh. you know? And it's like, but I loved her. So. <laughs> right. 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 And I find that in it, I personally, I love that you said that just now because you are protecting the characters because they're like people. They are people. Mm-hmm. I think they are people that, you know, become either your, your best girlfriend or like bae or in some cases your best guy friend or just family is the way that I connect with the readers. And one of the re- mm-hmm. one of the characters that you you wrote uh, or created um, that I absolutely adored and talk about giving somebody a hard time, I thought that Devin 
was like, <laughs> in my mind, I was like, this is me because she's a thick woman, one. She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. She's confident in her body. You know, like there's so many different things that I connected to with her. And I'm mm-hmm. like, and she's hella smart. And she got a doctor as a man. Like, come on now. You know, like all of these different things that people would be like, okay, I get it. But for for me, there was a difference when I read the book and then when I heard the book narrated. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely like, I love this woman <laughs> because <laughs> the, the way that I was envisioning her it just came to life even more. So I connected with her on a different level. But for me, she's one of my favorite, like absolutely favorite people. You see how I'm calling her a person, but she's yeah. absolutely one of my favorite because again, I just looked at it like, you know, having that pressure uh, on from people externally that love you, but want you to live a certain way mm-hmm. and challenging them on that doesn't work for me. And then at the same time, figuring out what really does work for you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you have some health stuff that you're battling with too. Like what? This is a real person. It and was I, just one I, of those moments like, oh. Yeah, yeah. And I love being able to do that. I really love being able to do that because um, I think, and this is something that I was doing before I started therapy myself. But then mm-hmm. once I started therapy and I was, you know, talking through different things with my therapist and different advice that she gave me, it's really (laughs) it's really wild how much as women we're how how much we're conditioned to kind of shrink ourselves and just Mm -hmm. kind of go with the flow and go with what and and make other people happy and just kind of go along to get along or however the saying goes we're really conditioned to do that and I feel like a lot of times readers are conditioned to want the heroine to do that too. It's like, it's not even just that we do it to ourselves, but because it's been done to us, we do it to others. And so I feel like that kind of comes into play a lot. And like I said, like, I'm I'm going to challenge that. Like my heroines are going to do what works for them. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to, you know, explore that some too, but ultimately like my heroines are the star of the show. I know the heroes often kind of get, <laughs> they're the ones who get, you know, talked about more and they're the quote unquote, they're the book bays and all of that. <laughs> but the heroine is the star of the show. And it's, this thing is going to go, it's, it's going to go her way because so often in real life it doesn't. And, but I right. want, I want us to see like when women pick up my work, exactly like you said, I want them to see themselves and I want them to see themselves winning. I want them to see mm-hmm. themselves not having to shrink you don't have to shrink, sis. And so don't try to make the heroine shrink because that's right. what the people in your life are doing to you. She mm-hmm. doesn't have to do that. And you don't have to do that either. And like that, like that is really, really important to me. And that's why I try to, like I said, I try to have some diversity in terms of in my of my heroines. Like they're dealing with different health issues or they're dealing with different degrees of confidence in how they look or what their job is or just all these different things and not even, and not even talking about just physically. Like I like to, I like to write them diverse physically as well, but just Mm -hmm. in their mindset and, and all these different ways, because out of 60 books (laughs) with, you know, probably 70 different heroines, because like some of, some of the projects have multiple couples or whatever, but somewhere you're going to see someone that reminds you of you, you know? Absolutely. And the cool thing is that we can, as we grow as people, that's going to change over time too, right? Mm -hmm. Because 
it's like, oh, I could really relate to this person now. And you touched on Nubia. And at first, when I was introduced to her through Cora's story, I was like, okay, she's the extra friend. But then when I got into her story, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of liking her. But then just reading behind the scenes, I started to love her. And I love that <laughs> she was super supportive of her family. And mm-hmm. I'm a family person. So that was important for me to see how she pushed, but she did it in a loving way. And, you know, without giving the book away, I think that it was cool to see how her character, in my mind, her character came full circle because we got a little bit more of like an update on where she was in her life, but mm-hmm. also got to see again that part of probably why she was pushing is because she knew that that push coming from other people actually brought her to that place of happiness where we saw her in this last book, right? Because her, her yep. people pushed her. She had friends and those are some good girlfriends, girl. Some good- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some good girlfriends that was giving her the real deal. And we need that in our lives. And like you said, you know, why is it that this is the way you're looking at them? Because that's how people in your life are. Like, let's let's go beyond that. And I think having people that are pushers in a loving way and in a nurturing way that can check you as well you know mm-hmm. that they have your best interests at mind. And I think everybody should have a little squad like that, that they can truly be like, these are the people that have my back, regardless of whether or not we agree, they love yep. me. Yep. And it's important. But, you know, as we're talking about these characters, you know, if you could have any of them be your neighbor, <laughs> <laughs> who would it be? Um. I I would probably be in the Heights. I would probably be in the Heights. And I think that I would want to, oh, this is a tough choice because I want to live next to somebody that can cook, but there are so many of them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about Charlie and Nixon. I'm thinking about Charlie and Nixon because they, um, they have the restaurant, Pot Liquor, and I feel like I would enjoy kind of seeing their kids and hearing their kids like not like not upstairs neighbors because I don't want to hear them kids running around (laughs) but (laughs) maybe like if we were like next door neighbors like in separate houses like we didn't share any walls but I kind of got to see their kids you know on the way to school in the mornings and Charlie might make like a little too much macaroni and cheese to come next door. Like, Hey, you know, I I make some extra. Do you need some? Yes, I do need some. Thank you, sis. (laughs) I love that. I love it. And uh, see, I love how you call out exactly why you would want to be their neighbors. And (laughs) one of the things that I said in the beginning, when I thought of areas that you have created or the neighborhoods that you have created was the fact that you do have that sense of community. Mm-hmm. And I know that you actually co-wrote a book, The Connecticut King. So you've mm-hmm. co-wrote the, how many out of that out of that series? Was it two or was it three? Well it's six total and we've both written three. Okay. So you co-wrote with Love Belvin. How did that idea come to be? Because as you talk about like having the support of the bloggers from the mommy circle and, mm-hmm. you know, even with other authors, how do you come to co-write without it being any kind of weird who's getting this and who's getting that? And how does these characters, how do the characters actually mesh well? Like take us to that process. Well, she and I were already good friends by the time okay. 
we came around to doing to to doing that and we had become friends we had met in like a writing group on facebook and we kind of connected clicked there and we were we started we started just talking about like writing stuff and then it progressed and now you know I know what she's cooking for dinner tonight. <laughs> you know, you see how it always comes back to food for me. But um, <laughs> but we kind of we kind of played with the idea of doing of writing something together. Um, but because our writing styles and our pro- well, I don't know that our writing styles are just so different, but I know that our processes are different and just kind of the way that our brain wraps around characters is a little different. And so we kind of came to the conclusion that actually co-writing necessarily in the same book might not necessarily work. It is something that's still on the table for us, but it was, mm-hmm. we, we, we kind of shelved it like, okay, let's take a step back and we do still want to collaborate, but how can we do this in a way that kind of eases us into it a little more? And so that's where the idea to do just a series in general was born. And we kind of volleyed these different ideas like, okay, we say we're going to do a series. What should it be? And she would throw out an idea and I'd be like, eh. And then I'd throw out an idea and she'd be like, eh. <laughs> you know, and it kind of <laughs> went back and forth like that um, for maybe six months to a year that we knew we wanted to do something together, but we just couldn't like the idea just wouldn't quite spark. And I cannot for the life of me remember which one of us introduced the idea of doing a football team. Um, She'll probably know if I text her right now, she would probably be able to tell me (laughs) she, she has a much better memory for stuff like that than I do. But Long story short, we ended up deciding to do the Connecticut King series. And I think that because we were, for one, we were already really good friends. And because we have just that immense respect for each other as creators and we have Mm -hmm. and we genuinely enjoy each other's work. And so there was nothing about it that was forced. And again, because we were friends, it was easy to say, well, hey, you know, can we do this or can we do that? And we had a Google Doc that we have that, you know, when someone had an idea, it's like, okay, let's write this down. And how can you feed off of this idea for your book? Like there's parts in our books where the other character, you know, the characters from her book are going to appear in my book. And so it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. let me run this scene by you. Tell me, you know, what your input is for this scene. And then now once I've written the scene, I'm going to send it to you so that you can kind of see what's going on. And we talked every morning. I mean, we still talk pretty much every day, but especially, you know, when we're, when we're writing, you know, there's multiple voice memos back and forth. Like this is everything that's going to be happening in this chapter. This is everything that I'm going to be writing today. And, like when I'm hearing what she's going to be writing and she's hearing what I'm going to be writing, we're giving input like, oh, if you do that, then, hey, what if my character does this right here? And that kind of ties in, you know, builds everything back together. And it really is a fun process. Like it really is a fun process. And I, I just keep going back to the relationship that we already had. I don't know that if we didn't already have that relationship and just that genuine love and respect for each other, I'm not sure that... I'm not I'm, I won't say that I don't think it would have worked at all. I don't think it would work as successfully and seamlessly as I feel like it does now. Like I feel like it's it feels very organic to me, like mm-hmm. for my characters to pop up in her Connecticut Kings books or for her characters to appear in my Connecticut Kings books like in um 
one of the books in Determining, uh, Determining Possession, my heroine runs like a sports podcast or like a sports blog is something that she's doing. And she goes to interview uh, the hero for Love's book, for um, for Love in the Red Zone. Uh, she interviews Trent for one of the chapters that's in my book. And that scene actually <laughs> appears in both books, but different parts right. of that scene appears in both books. And so there was some collaboration that had to go into that. Like, okay, you know, am I getting the characterization down right? And am I getting even, even down to the inflections? Like how is his wife or... I think, I don't know if they were, I can't remember if they were married yet at that point, but how is she reacting? Like, how is she interacting with the heroine? She's protective because, you know, just et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a lot. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> I was like, but is that the book with Jordan? Is that the book with Jordan? Uh, Jordan is Love on the Highlight Reel. Uh, okay. And then Determinant Possession is, I want to say, book four. It's, okay. No, Determined Possession is book three. Determined, yeah, Determined Possession is book three in the series. And then okay. Love and the Highlight Reel is two. So that was, that was Jordan's book. But it's just okay. so much back and forth and all of that, that it's just become, it's, it's very real to us. Like we have even, even down to the, like the team management chart, we have like a flow chart of, you know, who's, who's managing the team, who this person <laughs> is and different stuff like that stuff that doesn't even really go into the book, but it's stuff that we need to, to cement it for us to make it more real so that when it's time for us to, when it is time for us to write, we have this shared knowledge or this shared, um, mythology that we can go to that is that's true for both of us that we both kind of turn to Mm -hmm. and I love that it truly is organic because I am thinking of the fact that I read I think it was the Wayward Love series and Mm -hmm. which Love Belvin has written and in that series CCJ which is you (laughs) was mentioned (laughs) at the as being at an event that one of the characters attended and then it was so funny to see you pop up again in the Sadiq series, yeah. where <laughs> one of the characters was reading your book, right? Or a book that you were supposed to have written. And I was like, I need to write that book. <laughs> I, I like, need to write that book for real. <laughs> you need to write that book. But it's, it was good to see it because I'm big on community, I'm big on intentional connections, and I'm big on just being genuine and seeing that you ladies have done it in a way where, you know, it just feels like you're an extension of each other. To me, mm-hmm. I was like, well done. And and both of you are Black women. And again, it tells a different story of huh, how Black women are and how we are perceived. It, it tells a story that we truly do know how to work together, right? We are not Absolutely. people that are just out here like all about self, regardless of whatever the media is depicting not all of us out here ready to fight and got our nails out. Like we really are out here supporting each other and we are wanting the other to win, you know, and seeing Mm -hmm. how you two have done it. I'm like, hats off to you for for making it so real because again, it's another way for, for the readers to connect with the both of you, but it also shows that it's a possibility for those that may be aspiring to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely which is awesome, which is definitely awesome. So as we start winding down, what is the best advice? Or let me not go there yet. Let me reverse it. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Um, The best compliment that I get um, for my writing is that my characters feel real. 
that the dialogue feels real, like the conversations that the heroines are having with their friends or with their family, that it feels like real conversations that they've had. Like I'll get an inbox from somebody with a screenshot, like, were you listening to me and my homegirls <laughs> talking? Like, I need you to get out of my house. Like, what is, <laughs> like, what is this? What's happening? And I like, that is the best compliment to me because it's something that's so important to me because I, I want those conversations to feel real. And I want the people to feel real. Like that is, that's the highest compliment to me. And especially when it comes to the dialogue and the language, because I get, um, even just recently, um, I was having a chat with a book club and one of the, one of, one of the ladies in the book club kind of questioned my use of, and I'll, out of respect for you, I'll say the N word or out of respect (laughs) for your platform, I'll use, I'll say the N word, you know, she kind of questioned my use of it. Um, with 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 certain characters or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my thing is just that we use it. I mean, not mm-hmm. all of us and not all the time, but we use it. And I'm going to use real language when it comes to these real characters. Is every character going to use it? No. All of my characters don't curse. All of my characters, you know, don't do this or don't do that. They're all very different people. But if I'm if my goal is to show these people as real and to present them as their full selves, I'm not going to edit their language for anybody, for even myself. <laughs> you know, I'm right. not going to edit their language and I'm not, I'm, and I'm not going to try to make their language into something else. Like I'm not going to insert myself or insert what I would say, because it's not about me. It's about them. It's about the character. And so when people see that, and and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, w- I wasn't offended by the question because I get it, right. you know, like mm-hmm. I, I get it, but I appreciate when I get those compliments because it, to me, it says, it's, <laughs> it's almost like it's saying, you know, hi, CCJ, I trust you to present your characters the way that you want them to be seen. And I trust you to present these people in whatever light they came to you. And I appreciate what you, I, I appreciate you pre- for presenting them as you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and you said what you said. Absolutely. I'm yes. like, <laughs> it totally makes sense to me. And I think that again, you can only be as authentic as the characters that you're building and you can't compromise that to try to appease people when you know mm-hmm. that this is how people talk on a regular basis you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> i'm like respectfully <laughs> we get it but yeah this is this is just a part of of how people speak and and it doesn't have to be offensive at all it's just it is what it is yeah, that's say. basically. It. <laughs> that's basically it. It is what it is. And what's your advice for listeners that are possibly on the fence of becoming an author or possibly considering, you know, taking that plunge of starting the blog or starting that journal, getting their their little <laughs> three ring binders or three ring notebooks <laughs> and getting started. Um, you really, and I, I, I know this, I don't want to say it's useless advice, but I know it's frustrating advice, but you really do have to just start. You really do have to just start. Like you cannot, I don't think it's wise, and this, I'll say it like that. I don't think it's wise to wait until you've perfected it because what does that even mean? Right. You know, you can, you might think that you've perfected it and then you put it out there and 
what if what if what if somebody hates it what if a lot of people hate it and then now now what you you're you're in limbo now now you don't know what to do with yourself because you thought it was perfect and now everybody hates it and you spent all this time doing this and doing that and you procrastinated and you nitpicked at it until it wasn't even what you wanted it to be anymore and because what because of what you thought people wanted and what do you do from there you know right. i think it's better to just do it and i'm not saying you know don't have any type of idea of doing it with some type of integrity or some or some level of quality definitely do that but don't nitpick it trying to make it perfect mm -hmm. good good is good <laughs> good is good and then you're gonna you're gonna put it out and you're gonna pe people are gonna tell you what they think and you're gonna read it for yourself and you're gonna think what you think and you're gonna adjust and edit from there but you got it out there you did it and I feel like that feeling of completion I feel like that's really one of the best motivators because once you've completed one, you're going to want to complete another. You're going to want to do it again. And once you've done it once, you're going to just the process of doing it that one time is going to teach you so much about doing it that the next time you do it, you're going to know much more than you than you did when you started. And it's going to just kind of keep folding over each other like that. And so I guess to to put it, I guess, a little more <laughs> neatly, don't no. don't 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 get caught up waiting for it to be perfect. You really do have to just start. Mm -hmm. I agree. I definitely. And I mean, again, there's no there's no way to try to make this pretty. It is what it is. Again, you have to start. You know, it can't just stay in your head because then no one else is going to get <laughs> to get the benefit of it if it's just continuously in your head and you are the only person that sees it and you're trying to make it perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. That nothing's perfect. And surprisingly, sometimes when we think something is not great, other people love it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, just get started, listeners. Just get started. And the last question for you, my dear, is what are you manifesting? Oh, this is a difficult one again. <laughs> Because I, I I have a, and this is telling on myself, but I, I really have a hard time seeing the future. You know, I really, I really struggle with that. Um, I'm very much into making the best of what's happening today. You know, what, what, what can I do today? How can I succeed today? But what I do want to see for myself is just continuing to reach black women where they are, you know, no matter where they are reaching them there. Um, sewing into sewing into the atmosphere as much as I can, this idea that we are worthy of love, you know, no matter where we are, no matter where, if we're a little mean or, <laughs> you know, bubbly or goofy or silly or whatever, that we're, that we're worthy of a love not even, you know, not even necessarily from, you know, not even necessarily romantically, but we're worthy of healthy friendships. We're worthy of healthy relationships. We're worthy of healthy interactions with our family. And we're worthy of, just whatever. <laughs> and I, I, something that I really hope comes through in my work. And I want to just keep being able to do that in whatever, whatever medium I can, whether that's 
continuing to write or if, you know, someone hits me up and is ready to make this TV show or this movie (laughs) or whatever, I'm ready for it. There you go. And I'm ready to see it. I'm like, I've definitely read a few of your books and I could see it being on TV or even a movie. You know, I mean, I'm sure you probably have felt this way, but a lot of the the books depicted in The Heights, I definitely could see series, you know, just because. And I'm excited. I'm excited for whatever may happen, you know, for the next book, for whether it's your YouTube video, whatever it may be. I'm excited to see more from you. And I am happy to be in this moment with you and have you share with the Manifest audience and also with me because I got a chance to learn a little bit more. And more than anything, thank you for joining us today. And I hope you've enjoyed your time chatting with me as well. I love talking, so. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I love talking and uh, your girl over here loves talking too, which is why (laughs) this this whole podcast has been an amazing journey because I'm like, I love talking. And again, I said it before, like connecting people and connecting opportunities and just being able to tell stories and change the narrative, especially of how Black people are depicted and, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been able to manifest it. So I'm happy to see it all come together. And that's why I like asking that question because I am that person that definitely believes that words are powerful. So as I ask the question, I'm like, mm-hmm, let me take notes so that <laughs> when, I see, when I see that announcement go on, I'll be like, yep, remember you said it. And here we are <laughs> celebrating. So thank you again for joining. And before we go though, Listeners, please don't forget to share this podcast, leave a review, connect with CCJ on all socials listed in the show notes. Stay connected to her if you have any questions you want to ask her or simply if you want to say thank you. I am sure she would welcome a DM or an email. So absolutely. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like all about community, all about intentional connection. So listeners, now you have the green light to hit her up. Until next time, let's manifest. Thank you, CCJ. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Manifest podcast. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Share this with your family. Share this with your friends. Share this with your colleagues. Just share this with your entire community. And until next time, let's manifest. <laughs>